Blog Talk Radio. Much needed new normal. 
And you know what? Today uh, we are going to be talking about patriarchy. We're going to be talking about blame. We're going to be talking about women with my guest, uh, Mary Gelfand. And um, the uh, title of our show is Scars of the Body and Soul. And uh, a little bit about Mary. Um, she's an ordained interfaith minister and Wiccan high priestess. Uh, she's also a Unitarian Universalist uh, slash cups, a national leader with uh, a doctorate in education from Teachers College, uh, Columbia, who uh, enjoys creating and leading um, opportunity, leading learning opportunities for adults. Uh, today we'll discuss the scars of body and soul uh, left on women and men living with the impact of patriarchy, including our relationship with our body that stems from patriarchal oppression. Mary believes our body is a roadmap of our life experiences, and she'll explain what she means by that, as well as how women can learn to love their bodies. And like I said, you want to stay tuned after this interview because we'll get into part three of Carol Chris' essay, Why Women Need the Goddess, and some other interesting stuff. Um, and part four of Why Women Need the Goddess will be next week. So, uh, Mary Gelfand, welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Thank you, Karen. I'm delighted to be here. So, Mary, um, let's just start at the beginning. Um, what inspired you to, to write the essay um, that was in the Feminism the feminism and Religion blog um, that initiated my outreach to you? Uh, I think it was called Scars of the Body. Scars of the Body, yeah. Um, that piece was motivated by a my recalling to my actual, my physical body recollection, something that my mother regularly did after I became an adult and I would visit her. When I was young, before I was eight, I had received two wounds to my head, to my scalp, that resulted in cuts big enough to be sewn together. I'm sure a lot of blood. I don't remember any of that. But both left scars. And my mother would come up behind me when I was sitting down and weave her fingers in my, through my hair, it's a very thick hair, and tell she could find the scars. And then she would gently rub her fingers along them like she was just putting a little loving blessing on these spots. And I remember the, her doing that so vividly, and it, just, it really felt sacred at the time. So after that was recalled to my, my memory, um, a few years ago, I started thinking about the other scars I carry you know, on my body. And I'm, I'm a very fortunate woman in this culture in that I have never been physically or sexually abused. So none of my scars have been intentionally inflicted on me by another person. But, you know, I had an active childhood. I fell out of trees. I made silly decisions about saws. Um, I broke a couple of bones in my young adulthood, and in my um, more mature years now, I've been dealing with arthritis, so I've had multiple joints replaced and surgery for cancer. And all of these things left physical scars on my body. Some of them are not visible. can't see the scar from where I broke my collarbone, but I know where it is. I can touch that spot on my body. 
And I just wondered when I was in the bath one day what it would be like to bless each of those spots, each of those spots where my body had been um, penetrated or injured in some way through no one's fault, but it had miraculously healed and in some cases become stronger. And it's part of my religious philosophy that we don't pay enough attention to everyday miracles. And I think the fact that, you know, my body can be cut and can reheal itself, sew itself back together and be strong as it was before, I think that's an amazing thing. And so I started paying more attention to my body and, and how I could feel less separate from it, but rather more part of it, that my body and I were um, partners in the life I was living. Um, okay. And then I... Well... Yeah. Well, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I thought you were... I was going to say, uh, close, then I listened to that, um, Clarissa Pencola Essays' book, online book. It's only an audio book, The Joyous Body. And in it, she talks about how your body is your sacred consort. It is the only entity that experiences everything you do. So, and it's, it's with you from birth and it's with you from death. There's no way to separate from your body. But Western culture has created a duality between our mind and our body. So we're kind of mentally separate when we should be treating our bodies as our best friends. And so that was what motivated me to write that piece. What, uh, and that's a, that's a beautiful inspiration, a beautiful story. Um, and uh, I can't help uh, but think about, uh, and I think this is what was in back of my mind when I was reading your essay in the Feminism and Religion blog, was, um, you know, I, I dealt with uh, uterine fibroids and a lot of bleeding for uh, a number of years, and uh, I controlled it using birth control pills. Uh, but, you know, and, and it seemed to be fine, And um, but then... When, you know, Roy and I had our tragedies, my stun gun uh, assault and his um, brain injury, and then we lost our jobs and were just, you know, relocated uh, and isolated, all of that stuff, well, the bleeding came back. And uh, I, I was, you know, doing the typical, you know, talk therapy and things like that, um, you know, after after the abuse and and all and all that happened to us, but um, it was interesting because when I, I did shamanic journey work with another woman, um, she really made me think about getting in better touch and actually have a relationship with my body, and she believed that the bleeding was actually a sign of the grief, and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're, you were lucky. You said that you, you know, uh, most of your scars and wounds were, uh, you know, not something another inflicted upon you. Um, I guess I wonder if you uh, think at all differently um, about how the body reacts or endures or heals uh, when, you know, when there's a scar as a result of, 
you know, uh, some domination over another, if you will. Well, that adds an emotional layer to the healing process that's not present in my elective surgery to have my knee replaced. Um, So, yeah, I think it is different, but I think the same principles apply. I think it's just harder to do because if you've been if you've been abused by a partner um and some women of course are abused to the point where they are hospitalized um, there is, there are the physical wounds to heal but there are also the emotional wounds to heal and the emotional wounds are ongoing and are re-triggered as other abuses come so it's it's a lot harder but I can't help but think it would be helped by still loving your body because what happens mm-hmm. in this Western culture is that we distance ourselves from the body. And, you mm-hmm. know, if you've been assaulted in some way, even if it's surgically, you know, your body's the last place you want to be. But we need to come back to our bodies and make sure that, that we're not blaming our mind or our body for what happened to us. Um, this is something I've kind of struggled with because I have arthritis. And so it's like I want to blame my body for the fact that my knees hurt or my wrists hurt sometimes. But it's not my body's fault. There is no blame in my case. Um, and it's certainly, even if there, it would never be my blame or my body's blame. You know, right. strive for a place right. where we don't blame. But, yeah, I think yeah, you've got to deal can... with the emotional wounds first. Yeah, and and I have to say, you know, when I would do those shamanic journeys, um, it did feel like it really lightened the load, and um, and I do, you know, and I do think when that body mind connection happened, uh, I believe it. Um, I don't know. I think it made a difference. I could feel different. I felt different, is what I'm saying. Uh, after. Um, having those journeys and coming in contact uh, with my body. Well, and what you're saying too reminds me of the focus of some of the red tent groups too. You know um, how in a lot of cases it's about helping women have a better relationship with their menstrual cycles or menopause or um, some other you know maybe sacred blood issue. Mm-hmm. I am. Um... The two top things you've just talked about, fibroids and sacred menopause, I'm really fascinated with because um, I have a daughter who's 40 and has a totally different relationship with those things than I did growing up. And so she is into the sacred bleeding, and um, she I don't think she would mind my saying that, because I'm not going to give you her name, <laughs> That she she has fibroids, and she's decided to spend a year treating them by talking to them and massaging them and relating to them as opposed to considering figuring out how she can pay to have them removed. Um, right. And I think it's just a whole different attitude that younger women have that I find very encouraging. Um, yeah. 
Well, and it would be really interesting what sort of results she gets from that. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. look, I'm not, I'm not a doctor, and I'm not saying, you know, women do this, uh, you know, rather than following doctor's orders. You know, I'm kind of just curious um, because I've, I've had a woman tell me that she did a very similar thing, and she was having these abnormal um, uh, test results, you know, when she would get her pap, and uh, she started, uh, you know, talking to her body. Uh, she did some other things, too. I'm not going to mention those because it's probably just not a good idea because uh, I don't want other people to maybe start doing this because they heard it here on the show. Um, right. But she claims a year later her test results were, um, you know, were normal. You know, and, and I really wonder about, um, you know, I, I, I don't think we put enough stock in the body-mind connection. I would certainly agree with that, and I would, um, I, you know, our bodies are miraculous, and we don't give them credit. And we, um, we have created a culture in which instead of listening to our bodies, we listen to what? doctors tell us about our bodies. Now, yeah. I make good use of doctors, you know. I'm not saying anything against the medical profession if you have correct, carefully chosen your practitioner. But I don't allow them to make decisions about my health. I just allow them to advise me. Um, right, and right. And that kind of control. Um, but, yeah, I think the mind-body connection is huge. And that's something that the goddess promotes because the goddess is about being embodied spirituality as opposed to distant, disembodied spirituality. You know, she's yeah. in the world around us every day. Yeah. Um, well, in, and I know you're working on a companion piece, you know, a companion essay uh, to Scars of the Body called Scars of the Soul. Um, how is mm-hmm. that going to be different, Mary? Well, it's going to be different because Scars of the Soul, there is not necessarily any specific place in the body that you can touch. And so I decided as I started trying to think about this that we would have to address those through working with the chakras, depending on what, not physically, where, I mean, let me go back. Sometimes scars of the body also can be scars of the soul. If a woman has been raped, she, her body has been scarred, has been um, assaulted, but her soul has also been assaulted. And that would be at the second chakra level, which is the um, sexual chakra system. And so for that, to heal that kind of scar, you would want to do some work on connecting with your second chakra. And there's all sorts of information out there. It's just a lot more, it's hard to reduce it into a thousand words and still say something simple about the chakras. But every kind of assault, that a, a wound that a woman has to her soul, or a man, um, is going to be comparable to a chakra. Um, I'm, I am happily remarried now, but I was widowed um, over 15 years ago, and that was a 
regard my soul as a heart chakra, but also at, um, at other chakras because my husband was one of my best friends. Um, and so that's, that's a different kind of a scar of the soul. And how do you, you heal that? And I can touch where my heart chakra is. I can touch the location of all of these chakras. So it does give us a physical place to touch. And apply the same thing. Apply love. Um, if your boss has cut off your voice, you've put out all sorts of ideas on how this could be improved and your boss has not heard you, you know, or your um, throat chakra, you can add healing, apply healing energy to that area and love to that area because that is what controls your voice in the outside world. So that's where that piece is going, but I'm really struggling with um, reducing chakras into something that I can contain in that context. I think it's maybe a longer piece than I'm able to do for for feminism and religion. And that's why I still well, struggle with it. Well, and I, and I wonder, and I'm just throwing this out there because I don't know what mm-hmm. you even think about it, but um, aura photography, um, I mm-hmm. wonder if that would show something, like if you had a before and after or, you know, mm-hmm. um, anyway, that, that just came to mind. Uh, you know, I, I just wonder if it would, sh- you know, if the aura photography might show where one of your chakras needed um, some healing. I suppose it might, but I'm much more interested in things that people can use at home and learn about simply without having to find someone to do aura photography, you know, and be able to have a before and an after thing. Um, yeah. It, 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 might, it might show, you know, but if you were to tell me I needed to do that right now, I wouldn't have any clue where I would go for that. Um, Whereas if no, I, know. I, write, I tell you, you know, do this that you can do at home, you know, you're yeah. more actually likely to use it. And that's important that whatever tools we can put out there for healing are accessible to women and men who may not have a lot of financial resources but do have their, their wills and their minds and their bodies and their hearts and souls. Yeah. Um so, I, I mean, I know you believe it's important for women to love our bodies, but um, why do you think it's so difficult for most of us to do? And ha- have you had those sorts of struggles yourself? I struggle with loving my body every day, um, even though it's something I'm aware, aware of. And it's been lifelong. And I know exactly why women have these problems, and that's because our overculture, which is, I think, another word for patriarchy, has given us models of what women should look like that are impossible to achieve. Um, both physical models, um, I mean, Barbie dolls have done a lot of damage to the conception of what a woman's body should look like, because um, women just aren't built like that. Um, and the fashion industry, the makeup industry, all of these things are constantly telling us that our bodies as they are are not good enough. And that's because they don't conform to this patriarchal vision of what a woman's body should be like and who a woman should be. And um, 
it's, you know, we receive mixed messages all the time. We should be the ones who take care of the kids and are nurturing. That We should be eternally sexually appealing and, you know, to our husbands. And God forbid we should ever talk about things like bleeding every month in public. Um, and so we've been taught from for a long time that our bodies aren't okay. And so the whole beauty industry and plastic surgery industry is based on women trying to make their bodies conform to the societally accepted standards. And that's yeah. crazy-making. It's crazy-making. Well, and they're just talk, they're talking right now about how damaging TikTok is to young girls. Um, I, I heard a, heard someone today on the news say because you know this is something in Congress right now they're looking at trying to ban TikTok. Um, mm-hmm. That you know no sooner does a young girl get on TikTok she's starting to get. Um, uh, and, uh, Mary, I'm having feedback of my voice. Um, or do you have like earbuds or something where my voice um, can be heard? Uh, back on the radio? Um, I have uh, headphones I can put onto this phone. Okay. Well, just just try that if it if it helps okay. because I can I can, as I talk I can hear myself um, you know feed, feeding back at me. <laughs> um, but anyway, I was talking about TikTok and um, uh, the self image problems that young women are having because of what they're seeing on TikTok. Um, and it's interesting because part of this I hadn't heard till today. Uh, but apparently in China, when a child signs on to TikTok, they see all these educational videos, you know, uh, tours through museums, science experiments. But when um, American girls uh, or let's say non-Chinese, I don't know if this is happening in Europe too, uh, but they're saying American young women are seeing, uh, you know, these sorts of videos that suggest to them that, um, you know, that give them poor self, you know, a, a poor body image, you know, poor self-image. And um, it's, I mean, it's what you're talking about, uh, but in a way it's, it's so insidious, you know, uh, because it, it's, uh, I don't know, like destruction of our, our, of our culture from within, you know, I guess it's a whole nother layer of this, you know, uh, you know, maybe one country's, um, you know, disinformation against another, but the, the victims are, you know, women who fall prey to this. Uh, and I think it's the fashion industry, too. Um, you know, we have to have all the latest fashions. I know you said cosmetic industry, but I don't know if you said fashion industry. Um, you know, we're, uh, you know, we're, we're either, uh, you know, falling prey to capitalism or, um, you, know, the, you know, these industries that, uh, you know, just make money off of our insecurities. That's what I'm trying to say. Yes, and young people are being groomed as consumers from an early age, right? Yeah. They're being taught what they can consume. And you're right, absolutely fashion and um, social media influencers, um, which, you know, I only know as a term because I don't do any of TikTok, Twitter, any of those things. But, you know, they're always this, you know, I just bought this fancy, expensive perfume and this is what happened in my life. 
I mean, it's all marketing, and um, and that is also related, I think, to you know, to patriarchy. It's a desire to control. Um, yeah. And um, it's just it's really sad for for young young women coming into maturity these days need very strong role models and parents to help them negotiate these um, challenges. Yeah, and if and if your mother, I mean, let's say if your mother has fallen victim to, you know, these patriarchal ideas of beauty, then mm-hmm. it's really maybe kind of hard for her children to do any better because, uh, you know, they're living in that bubble potentially. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, um so Mary, we're going to take a break, um, okay. and uh, but when we come back, uh, I know you have a couple mantras you use to help cope uh, with you know the impact that patriarchy has on you, and you know maybe uh, it's something that uh, if you share those, uh, can help uh, some of the listeners there. I would love to do that. Okay, great. We'll be here when uh, we return. Okay. All right. So we are going to hear uh, a new word uh, from Joe Carson today. Hello. Let me say a few things about Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia an exploration of Earth-based spirituality shot at sacred sites around the world. Here is Drusilla Pettibone on Dearmist.com. I was truly touched and even awed by the film. I really appreciate that there is so much substantive information to digest. For example, the info about hinges and tracing the horizon line is all new to me and totally fascinating. The film was very beautiful and I was amazed how it was able to capture so many of the descriptions visually and seamlessly connect vintage footage with modern. I especially loved when images were dynamically superimposed on each other, like the lace with the water and the dancing in the flowering meadow. A visual feast and with so many layers. I am also pleased to have been introduced to Monica Shu and her work. It's so important for pagans to become aware of our heritage It seems easily lost among so many new books, and the film really brought me home in a new way. Dancing with Gaia is available at dancingwithgaia.com. DVD, uh, Dancing with Gaia, comes packaged with a 45-page color mini-book, which goes even deeper into the material. And you can buy the DVD and booklet for only $9.95 at the website, dancingwithgaia.com. 
And uh, you haven't heard from me about my books in a while. I want to tell you a little bit about my first two. Uh, the first one was Sacred Places of Goddess, 108 Destinations. And um, whether you're an armchair traveler or you actually get your passport stamped regularly, you can use Sacred Places of Goddess to discover holy places of the divine feminine. Even use it to drive your own uh, sacred tour uh, in the United States. There's nothing like it between two covers and I know because I led sacred tours and my second book Walking an Ancient Path Rebirthing Goddess on Planet Earth well that was a winner in the spirituality category of the National Best Book Awards you can use it to learn about the feminine consciousness or feminine face of God a movement that uh, just might save the world and I like to think it's great for the solitary or someone interested in uh, inspiring their community so um, you can check those out or any of my other books at uh, my website KarenTate.net that's the best place to purchase these books or others of mine And if uh, you happen to tune in late, um, well, it's never too late. You can always just uh, go back to the beginning. Uh, But I am uh, talking to Mary Gelfand, and we're talking about the scars of the body and soul, uh, particularly those... um, maybe inflicted upon us uh, by the patriarchal culture in which we live in. And Mary, uh, you were going to share some mantras that you use to, um, I don't know, I guess help uh, help you with the indoctrination <laughs> uh, that <laughs> patriarchy, uh, you know, uh, that, that, we, that we're steeped in. Yes, um, I'd be happy to do that because um, these, have been they've made a huge difference in my life actually, um, and I think one of the worst scars that patriarchy inflicts on primarily on women but also on certain groups of men is um, is self blame, the feeling that it's all my fault. Um, I walked in that world of self blame for a long time, and I'm working really intentionally now to step away from it because. Um, and once I, I kind of saw and I realized how it was just my default mechanism, you know, if something went wrong, it's just easier to say, yeah, I'm sorry, I'll fix it, and fix it, than try to get to to the root of why I was blaming myself, because um, often there was no blame to be had. But, um, you know, women just, we accept blame for things. We... Um, we are told that if we are, are victims of abuse, it's our fault, um, especially if, you know, you're a victim of spouse abuse, it's your fault. If only you hadn't done this, then you wouldn't have gotten hit. And it's never the fault of the person who is the victim. But that's a tool that patriarchy uses to allow men to be as uncontrolled in their um, expression of anger and aggression as they want to be without having to face consequences. And this stems back to two of the myths that underpin Western civilization, the story of Adam and Eve and the story of Pandora. And in both of these stories, um, Eve and Pandora are both, in their cultures, the first woman. And the patriarchal leader, the god um, Yahweh or Zeus, have given specific instructions, don't do this. And, you know, what can I say? They're curious. So they do it. They do it. 
and they release into the world, according to patriarchal myths, all of the bad things in the world, death and sickness and disease and war and strife, all of those are released when these women disobey God, the patriarchal God. And that's just making women into a scapegoat. That is an intentional manipulation of story so that you have someone to blame for the fact that life is hard. Life is hard and people die. And, you know, we don't want that to be true. So over the um, millennia, people looked for a blame, place to place this blame. And, um, and that's women. Women, we've been the scapegoat culturally across Western civilization and probably Eastern civilizations as well, but I can't answer that specifically. And so I deal with that in two ways. I look for places where patriarchy is telling me something I don't want to know. And I can give you a fine example, which is that when I was, when you first approached me to be on this, um, pod, this radio show, my initial reaction after I was excited and then I was like, well, I can't do that. I don't know enough to do that. And then I immediately, because I've been working this way, I immediately said, wait, that's patriarchy speaking, throwing up a roadblock in the path that tells me I should do this because there's got to be a reason patriarchy doesn't want me to. And so I listen for that where I'm, I'm seeing resistance in myself to moving forward. You know, is that something grounded in something real in me or am I listening to patriarchy trying to control my life? And if it's patriarchy, I just flip it off and say, you know what, I'm not listening to you now. I'm going to go do what I want to do. And my second mantra is, um, has a backstory that I probably don't have time to tell because I think it's more important to work with the mantra. It's a very simple mantra. It's not my fault, and I can do something about it. Okay? Because we feel helpless also in these situations. It's not my fault. You know what? If you were fired for your job, I'm willing to bet that your boss has found a way to blame you for that, that you didn't do something that you were supposed to do, and it's not your fault. Your boss is just looking for a way to get out of having to blame himself. Um, that is ubiquitous. Women accept blame for everything. If a romance fails, you know, if he breaks up with you, it's all your fault. You didn't love him enough. You weren't good enough. You weren't kind enough. Your body was what he wanted it to be. You know, we can go back to body image stuff there. And we just accept blame, and we don't have to. It's not our fault. Um, it's right. very rarely our fault. Often it's not anybody's fault. But if it's a question of abuse, you know, it's definitely someone else's fault, not yours as the victim. So you can say, it's not my fault. Now, that using that is not going to change your life situation. And saying it's not my fault and I can do something about it doesn't mean that you don't have to carefully strategize what you're going to do if you're talking about something as drastic as getting out of abusive relationship or leaving a job to find one with a boss who's more open to your ideas. But you make changes internally to yourself every time you say that. Every time I say to myself, that's not my fault, and I can do something about it. I don't have to accept that blame. 
maybe all I can do is just say over and over again, not my fault, and I'm going to do the best I can. And sometimes, you know, a lot of environmental degradation is I have had a role in it, but it's not primarily something that I could feel blamed for. But I still do the little things I can. I recycle as much as I can. I try to be conscious about where I'm eating on the the food chain. Can I make the land I live on as wholesome as I can and not abuse it with pesticides? I do as many little things as I can because that is something I can do. It's not my fault, the large global picture, because those are forces beyond my control. But sometimes the something I can do about it is small, but it makes a difference to me and helps me to feel empowered. And that's a positive step forward. Well, and you're also reprogramming the neurons, right, in, in yes, your brain. Exactly. You're, uh, you're, you're shifting your consciousness. You know, you're not going to be the doormat anymore that says, I'm sorry for everything, uh, that, you know, take the blame for everything when, like you said, you know, uh, probably an awful lot of the times, you know, you're just being scapegoated by somebody in authority who uh, has the power to scapegoat you, you know. Um, you know, when I was thinking about when you mentioned the Garden of Eden story and, um, and Pandora, you know, those are also saying to women, see what happens when you don't obey male authority? Bad things mm-hmm. happen when you don't listen to men who put themselves mm-hmm. in charge. Um, mm-hmm. it, and, you know, and it also made me think about, um, uh, you know, when women were baking cakes for the Queen of Heaven and mm-hmm. uh, the men blamed the women uh, for the turmoil they were going through because the women were still worshiping goddess and the men wanted to dump goddess. And uh, uh, so they blamed the women because they hadn't, um, you know, pledged absolute fealty to, uh, you know, to Yahweh and kicked goddess to the curb. You know, um, you know it's all it's always the women's fault. <laughs> it's always the women's fault. Yeah, and um, that's you know it's one, something that is an important step to change. Um, and in the case of Eve and Pandora, what women are penalized for is curious, right? It's it's mm-hmm. it's such a natural thing. Curious, what's in this box? I want to know. And this is a topic for another conversation. But when men are curious, they're rewarded. Mm-hmm. When women are curious, we shouldn't do that because we've been told not to. Well, and, and I'd, even, I'd even take that to another place, Mary. I'd say, yeah. uh, in a way, uh, is this justification for not educating women? You know, oh, yeah. they don't... They don't want women to be educated. I forget who it was, but they said educate a women and you uh, build a nation or something along those lines. Um, you know, it's it's really about wanting to keep women subservient and uneducated. I mean, I, we were just watching the women talking that movie that was up for an Academy Award mm-hmm. about uh, real Mennonite women who were I think it was in Bolivia or Brazil. I forget which one now. Doesn't matter. Uh, was this, you know, based on a, a true story 
uh, that, you know, the women in this Mennonite sect, they didn't even know where they were in the world. They couldn't read. They couldn't write. Um, I mean, talk about having total control and submission, withholding those most basic things from someone. You know, that's, excuse me, that that's a sick I'm going to just say jerk. There's lots of other words I'd rather use. But those, you know, that's some sick puppies um, that they're so insecure that they can't even educate their women. You know, they're so yep. afraid. They're yep. cowards. I grew up in the South, and that's a comparable to the, well, just keep her barefoot and pregnant and everything will be fine. Yep, yep, yep. And I'm from you New know, Orleans. I heard that, uh, I heard that heard rather that often. Uh, yeah, yep, I heard yeah. that before. Um, well, Mary, uh, you know, I know that, you know, we could, this conversation can go into so many different places, uh, but we're about out of time. Um, what, um, what would be uh, closing thoughts or comments you'd like to leave listeners with? I guess the the primary thing I would like to leave with, with listeners with is an invitation to take a step away from patriarchal domination with your um, with your body, which is your constant companion. It's with you all the time. And just exercise your right to love your body, to touch it, to feel, and to give it love, to say, I'm sorry this hurt happened to you, but I'm going to help you heal it. And to love the scars on your soul and to use that as one of the steps that you can do to step away from taking blame. Okay, They don't seem like big things. They're not earth-shattering, but you can say, you know, it's not my fault and I, the something I can do is to love my body and help yeah. other women love their bodies. Don't body shame other women. Help every all of us grow to a point of controlling our relationship with our bodies with love and compassion. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um undo the brainwashing. You know, understand yes. that it is brainwashing, it is gaslighting. Uh it's it's uh crazy stuff that um we should never have been inflicted with to begin with. You know, you don't mm-hmm. see, well, you know, and it's so funny, you always see these beautiful women on the on the arm of this short, fat, bald little guy, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, patriarchy's not telling him there's anything wrong with, with him, right? <laughs> nope. Nope, patriarchy is not doing that. Um, I am looking very quickly, and I, I have a, a very quick two-paragraph reading that might be a nice closing, if you think we have time. Um, yeah, go ahead. Go for it. Um, I'm just I'm tracking it down in my book of special. Okay. Um, no, that's not it. Oh, come on. Okay, this is um, from Clarissa Pincola Estes as well. This we know. All our ancestors, and sometimes we too in modern times, have lived through an unspeakable, nearly unbearable something. An event so sudden, so destructive, it seemed it would annihilate the life-giving force. Yet still, at the center of a grief-stricken heart, 
there is ever a golden field, alive, flourishing with enough soul to feed all who come there. This inextinguishable heart of love protects life force essence there, even while all else stands in ruin. Nice. She's she's great. Um, I, I, yeah, I find she's that. had so much so much wisdom. Yeah, yeah. I find that very comforting. I read that a lot. <laughs> it just reminds me that that is there, and that we can all tap into it. That center of glowing love. Well, and you you have at the uh, on your emails uh, Hildegard uh, of Bingen's quote: "Just as the heart is hidden in the human body, so is the body surrounded by the powers of the soul, because these reach to the ends of the earth." And uh, you know that's another nice one. Yeah. Yep. So, so Mary, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom and overcoming uh, the patriarchal uh, dogma that uh, creeped up into your head. <laughs> <laughs> it gets easier the more you do it. There you go. There you go. When yep. we start to realize our value, right? I mean, that's yep. really what it boils down to. Uh, when we realize our value, and uh, uh, you know, and, and like Carol Christ was saying, you know, and I've been talking about why women need the goddess. When you know, women grow up without a feminine face of God, um, our self-esteem really takes a hit. And um, you know, I think young women today, more of them maybe know about goddess and have a better chance to start out, uh, you know, hopefully to be able to fight that patriarchal conditioning. Yeah. I find a lot of encouragement in what's happening to the young women in the world today, the paths they are starting to walk. Yeah. Well, Mary, thank you so much for being on the show, and uh, no doubt we will have another topic to to revisit in the future. Thank you so much for uh, sharing today. Thank you for inviting me, Karen. It was great, a great opportunity. So, okay. Uh, you have a great what's week. What's going on with you? You too. Bye bye. Okay. Thank you. Likewise. Bye bye. So, um, hope you enjoyed that, and uh, hope you will share it with uh, like-minded folks or friends you think who would appreciate the message, or maybe need to hear the message. Uh, as we said, there's so many more layers to this, but. Uh, that's all there's time for today. Um, and I want to make sure you know about the Divine Feminine app uh, because women have been finding this app each and every day since uh, 2016. Uh, that's about seven years, I think. Uh, it's a resource for finding local sacred circles, events, and resources. Uh, the Divine Feminine app has a new feature where newly added and local events are sent out every Tuesday. So please do go to Divine Feminine app, that's app.com, and register. It's quick, it's easy, it doesn't cost anything, and you'll find out what might be going on in your area that you didn't know about, and uh, maybe even find some new like-minded friends. And it's not just local events that you'll find there, it's also other uh, sacred feminine-oriented things. Some of them are virtual. Uh, some of them talk about um, retreats, uh, prof- there's profiles there, there's podcasts like this one as well. So uh, check it out, Divine Feminine App. And uh, one last thing before we get to part three of uh, Why Women Need the Goddess, um, I wanted to tell you about my new book. I haven't been talking about it much 
lately, um, really kind of just in passing, uh, because I haven't uh, actually strongly uh, started promoting it yet, but uh, that's going to happen real soon. And um, it's called Normalizing Abuse, and I wrote it when Roy and I were um, isolated up on the mountain trying to heal from all uh, we had gone through. And uh, I really got a different perspective. I mean, I considered myself uh, savvy and educated and an advocate, you know, for fairness and equality, you know, a feminist. Um, but I don't know, on some level, I guess I thought abuse was, abuse was something that happened to others and not me. Uh, but what we went through and uh, this time for reflection that I had, I realized that uh, it was happening to me. And I was asleep at the wheel and didn't see the danger signs. Uh, it crept up on me drip by drip. And um, abuse and the resulting trauma, it made me realize it can happen to anyone regardless of age, race, gender, um, your beliefs, your economic status. So we really do have to examine all aspects of our lives for both the blatant and the insidious abuse, the abuse that's hiding there. Um, you know, we have to recognize it and take steps to eradicate it uh, from our lives and from society. And that's why I wrote Normalizing Abuse, uh, because I am convinced we are like uh, the fish swimming in water who doesn't even see the water anymore. Uh, I believe 99.9% um, .9 of us are enduring abuse to survive. And it doesn't have to be that way. We just make excuses for it. We rationalize it because it's so familiar. Um, and we just say, well, that's just the way it is. It's normal, but it's not. So anyway, I'll be talking more and more about the book. And um, I hope you uh, might consider uh, going pick up an e-book or a paperback. And um, if you go to my website, karentate.net, um, you can find out more about the book, Normalizing Abuse. So uh, if you're still with me, thank you for your patience. Uh, we are going to get into part three of uh, Why Women Need the Goddess by Carol Christ, uh, her essay. And um, number three uh, is the affirmation of women's will. The affirmation of woman's will. And uh, here's what she said in her essay. Uh, a third important implication of the goddess symbol for women is the positive valuation of will in goddess-centered ritual, especially in goddess-centered ritual magic and spellcasting in women's spirit and feminist circles. The basic notion behind ritual magic and spellcasting is energy is power. Here the goddess is the center of focus of power and energy. She is the personification of the energy that flows between beings and the natural human worlds. In goddess circles, energy is raised by chanting or dancing. According to Starhawk, uh, witches conceive of psychic energies as having form and substance that can be perceived uh, directed by those with a trained awareness. The power generated within the circle is built into a cone form and at its peak is eased to the goddess to re-energize the members of the coven or to do a specific work such as healing. 
In ritual magic, the energy raised is directed by willpower. Women who celebrate goddess circles believe they can achieve their wills in the world. The emphasis on the will is important for women because women traditionally have been taught to devalue their wills, to believe that they cannot achieve their will through their own power, and even to suspect that the assertion of will is evil. Faith Waldung's poem, Waiting, from which I will quote only a short segment, sums up women's sense that their lives are defined not by their will, but by waiting for others to take the initiative. And here's uh, a little bit of uh, that poem. Waiting for my breasts to develop, waiting to wear a bra, waiting to menstruate, waiting for life to begin, waiting, waiting to be somebody, waiting to get married, waiting for my wedding day, waiting for my wedding night, waiting for the end of the day, waiting for sleep, waiting, waiting, waiting. Um, Patriarchal religion has enforced the view that female initiative and will are evil through the juxtaposition of Eve and Mary. Eve caused the fall by asserting her will against the command of God, while Mary began the new age with her response to God's initiative, quote, let it be done to me according to thy word, which is Luke 1.38. Even for men, patriarchal religion values the passive will subordinate to divine initiative. The classical doctrines of sin and grace view sin as the prideful assertion of will and grace is the obedient subordination of the human will to the divine initiative or order. While this view of will might be questioned from a human perspective, Valerie Saving has argued that it has particularly uh, it has particularly deleterious consequences for women in Western culture. Western culture encourages males in the assertion of will, and thus it may make some sense to view the male form of sin as an excess of will. But since culture discourages females in the assertion of will, the traditional doctrines of sin and grace encourage women to remain in their form of sin which is self-negation or insufficient assertion of will. One possible reason the will is denigrated and a patriarchal religious framework is that both human and divine will are often pictured as arbitrary, self-initiated, and exercised without regard for other wills. In a goddess-centered context, in contrast, the will is valued. A woman is encouraged to know her will, to believe that her will is valid, to believe that her will can be achieved in the world. Three powers traditionally denied to her in patriarchy. In a goddess-centered framework, a woman's will is not subordinated to the Lord God as king and ruler, nor to men as his representatives. Thus, a woman is not reduced to waiting and acquiescing in the wills of others as she is in patriarchy, but neither does she adopt the eccentric form of will that pursues self-interest without regard for the interests of others. The goddess-centered context provides a different understanding of the will than 
available in the traditional patriarchal religious framework. In the goddess framework, we will can be achieved only when it is exercised in harmonies with the energies and wills of other beings. Wise women, for example, raise a cone of healing energy at the full moon or solstice when the lunar or solar energies are at their high points with respect to the earth. This discipline encourages them to recognize that not all times are propitious for the achieving of every will. Similarly, they know that spring is a time for new beginnings and work and love. Summer is a time for producing external manifestations of inner potentialities. And fall or winter times for stripping down to the inner core and extending roots. Such awareness of waxing and waning processes in the universe discourages arbitrary, ego-centered assertion of will, while at the same time, encouraging the assertion of individuals will in cooperation with natural energies and the energies created by the wills of others wise women also have a tradition that whatever is sent out will be returned and this reminds to assert their wills in cooperative and healing rather than egocentric and destructive ways this view of will allows women to begin to recognize claim and assert their wills without adopting the worst characteristics of the patriarchal understanding and use of will in the goddess-centered framework the mood is one of positive affirmation of personal will in the context of the energies of other wills or beings. The motivation is for a woman to know and assert their wills in cooperation with other wills and energies. This, of course, does not mean that women always assert their wills in positive and life-affirming ways. Women's capacity for evil is, of course, as great as men's. My purpose is simply to contrast the differing attitudes toward the exercise of will per se, the female will in particular, in goddess-centered religion and in the Christian God-centered religion. So that might be something you might want to read over a couple times. Uh, so please, if you want to find it, please do go to Why Women Need the Goddess by Carol Christ. And we will cover the final part next week. Uh, and uh, next week, my guest uh, on March 29th is going to be Matthew Fox. And uh, that's Father Matthew Fox. He's going to be discussing creation spirituality, and that's not creationism. Let's not get that confused. Uh, Matthew has also done me the great honor of writing the foreword to my new book that I mentioned a few minutes ago, Normalizing Abuse, uh, which is available uh, through my website, KarenTate.net. Uh, and uh, we've always had stimulating conversations, so I'm looking forward to having him uh, back on the show as well next week. So um, I think uh, that about does it uh, for me today. Um, I think I will leave you with uh, one of my quotes here. Um, this is by Nicholas Kristof. He is a famous New York Times colonist, a columnist. He said, the dominant moral challenge we face in the 21st century is gender inequality. The dominant moral challenge we face in the 21st century is gender inequality. Um, I don't know, I might also say maybe white supremacy too, but anyway, that's... Uh, 
that's what Nicholas has to say. So uh, thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the show, and you'll come back next week. And if you want to make sure you uh, know about uh, each show, I would recommend you go to uh, Voices of the Sacred Feminine on Blog Talk, and uh, you can subscribe there so you get uh, notice of each show every week. That way you can decide if you're going to listen. It will be right there in your uh, email inbox. That way you don't have to rely on seeing a Facebook event or a newsletter or, or something like that. All right. Uh, well, that about does it, and I'm going to leave you with uh, an homage to Sekhmet, Our Lady of Tenacity Manifested. That is a goddess who knows about women's will. Mm-hmm.